Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with co-founder and CEO of Native Pet, Dan Schaefer. Hi, Dan, and welcome. Hey, Lindsay. Happy to be here. In case you haven't had the opportunity to work with Dan yet, here's what you need to know about how we got into the pet space. He's on a mission to revolutionize the way pet owners approach their pets' nutritional needs without compromising taste and accessibility. As a lifelong aspiring entrepreneur, Dan traded his role in corporate America for product innovation in search of discovering brands he was passionate about. Native Pet was born out of necessity when Dan, also a dedicated pet owner, was on the hunt for better nutrition for his Labrador retriever, Louie. He found that other pet brands were missing the mark in a space that's heavily saturated with mass-produced daily meal regimens, and that they didn't acknowledge that pets might have unique nutritional needs that require customized care for their diets. Dan called on his childhood friend, Pat Barron, who has the same passion for food systems, entrepreneurship, and of course, pets. Pat immediately saw a great opportunity to help pets everywhere, so he quit his job and together the two launched Native Pet. Native Pet makes natural, highly effective, limited ingredient pet supplements using whole food and superfood ingredients. The company is positioning itself to be the authority on pet nutrition for a new generation with a simple strategy. Invent functional foods that add targeted nutrition to pets' daily routines with effective results, clean ingredients, and truly great taste. Given all that, Dan is here today to help me answer this question. What purpose do pet supplements serve, and what does the future of this growing segment look like? So I want to start off and dive right in with sort of an umbrella question so we can get a feel for the landscape. Where do you see supplements placed in the overall pet products landscape? What is their purpose? It's a great question. And in a lot of ways, I think the industry and consumers and everybody is trying to figure that out. And I think it's evolving rapidly before our eyes. And I think historically, when we think of pet supplements, it's been a very niche part of the category, which is my dog has an issue. I'm not ready to go to the vet or prescription solutions aren't working. But also if I just keep feeding my dog kibble and not doing anything, the problem isn't going to get better. And out of that rose, this like kind of niche category of targeted nutritional products, say that may help your dog feel better in a particular way, a hip and joint supplement or a fiber supplement, et cetera. And I think over the last five years, that's largely where the category has been. Now we've seen the category explode over time. And I think what the consumer is looking for is changing at that same pace. And so I think the category is changing a lot and it's becoming much broader what's defined as a supplement. So at Native Pet, we really think about it as something that you feed your dog outside of kibble, where you're trying to get some benefit that isn't just taste. And so that's a really wide spectrum. And I think that's where the category is going. We all know that humanization is playing a massive role in the way pet owners interact with their pets and in the way they treat their pets' nutrition. But we also know that pets are not humans and they have different needs and different requirements from a nutritional perspective, from a health perspective. What are some of the similarities and differences between the human supplement space and the pet supplement space? That's a really good question. And I think fundamentally they're very similar. They're all things that we 
need to eat as humans outside of our diet to help us feel better. And it's the same with pet. You need to feed them something outside of their diet that's going to help them feel better. That's the motivation for supplements. And I think as the consciousness around supplements in the human category continues to evolve and increase to get more and more popular, those tailwinds are definitely helping drive the growth in the category within pet. And I mean, the growth has been crazy since we founded the business in 2017, not just for us, but for the whole category. If you dig a little bit deeper, I think there are differences between human supplements and pet supplements. What I mean is humans, we have so much more customization around what our nutritional profile looks like based on what we choose to eat. And I'll use the example. If my doctor were to tell me that I need to get more fiber into my diet, I can make very easy nutritional choices just in my daily meals, the human equivalent of kibble, which doesn't exist, but I can choose to eat more broccoli or more whole grains, et cetera. And you wouldn't call that a supplement because you're going to knock it out at breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And that's because we have infinite choices as consumers for how do we tailor our nutrition on a given day by what we eat on a given meal. Now, part of the reason why I love this category is humans have so much less control over their diet because we get invited to a happy hour or your parents' house for dinner or you swing through the drive-through with your kids or whatever. It's way easier to cheat. And so that's kind of the downside. But if you're really targeted as a human, you can use food as medicine, tailor your diet to get your exact nutritional needs. And you really would never even need a supplement, theoretically. We don't have that luxury in pets just because of the way kibble is manufactured. It's really, really hard to do customized kibble. And many people have tried. There are people that are trying to do it. Some of these like meal delivery businesses are getting closer. But ultimately, kibble by nature is designed to be essentially some variation but mostly just a minimum viable nutritional product that can help serve the largest number of dogs get their base nutrition. But if your dog were to have like a particular need, it's really hard to just tinker with the kibble to get exactly what your dog needs. And I think that's where supplements in pet are so powerful because just like humans, pet have unique nutritional needs, but unlike humans, we can't tinker with that daily meal regimen to get that targeted nutrition. And I think that's why supplements have gotten so huge. If you want more fiber, you get a pumpkin supplement. If you have gut health issues, you get a probiotic, and then you add it to whatever your daily meal regimen is. And so it's unlocking a part of nutrition that I think humans have taken for granted because of all the choices that we have and all the power we have to make customized choices that just hasn't existed in pet and supplements are unlocking it. And then the last point I'll make is humans have all these choices. It's a good thing if you use it right. It's a bad thing if you don't, which I referenced earlier. One of the things that's exciting about pet supplements are you have total control over your pet's diet. So you have this regimented approach. And if you're using products that are dosed appropriately, are actually researched to be effective and then or something your dog will eat you can have such a high degree of control over exactly what your dog is eating and that can drive really meaningful health outcomes i think there's a lot of similarities but there are a lot of exciting differences and i think that's one of the things i love about this category do you feel like supplements maybe have some untapped marketing potential in terms of price point? Because you were talking about customization and more customized pet formulations 
tend to be more expensive. They are in the premium and even the super premium categories. The price points can be pretty high. If you have to stay in that mid-range or even the lower range where you have to go more for the all-life stages kibble or somewhere in between the high-end subscription services and the base layer, so to speak, the minimum requirements, do you feel like supplements could be sort of an affordable addition in comparison if people feel like they would like to customize their pet's food? Is is that a way that supplements are being used or are people really focusing more on the functionality? Absolutely. hundred percent. I think pet customers have shown willingness to pay to a degree isn't necessarily an issue if you believe it's the best thing for your pet. I mean, we all think they're part of our family and that's how we treat them. Now, that is all within reason and based on what people can afford and what's reasonable and what the next best alternative is. And I think one of the issues with super premium kibble or the meal delivery businesses is some people just straight up can't afford them. And that's the reality of it. And also you look at a $60 bag of kibble versus 150, you have to make a really tough choice on like with limited resources. And I think there just are some people that just can't move up tier. I think you're totally right. One of the things that's exciting about supplements is that you can stick with your 60 or $40 bag of kibble, but start to get some of the customization and high-end nutritional ingredients that are coming in the $120, $150 bag of kibble. And furthermore, even those $120, $150 bags of kibble loaded with great ingredients, highest quality product, right? but they still need to be mass produced to a degree. The meal businesses are a little bit different. And so you're still getting a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily need. So you're paying for some extra stuff. With supplements, they are not cheap for sure, but the combination of your normal kibble plus supplement gets you in a much different price point than the the hyper premium part of the category. And I think that's really, really attractive to consumers who can't break the bank, but still want to get customized nutrition. So we've talked a little bit about the benefits and the exciting parts of the category. What do you see as some of the top challenges faced by pet supplements right now? I think the category is just changing so quickly. Consumer consciousness is changing so quickly. You know, there's a huge variety of brands in the space right now. And, you know, I don't think I'm calling out a secret. Most people in the industry don't already know, but... Most of the brands are all made by the same handful of manufacturers. And there's like one or two really big ones. And that's not dissimilar from human food or human supplements by any means. But I think it's a confusing user experience when all the products look and feel exactly the same. And there's just like different marketing messages and package design. That was a big challenge when we looked at the category. And it was a big reason why we decided not to work with those co-manufacturers and develop our own custom formulas and our own unique product is because I think part of the challenge in this space is somebody needs to come in and be the category defining brand as to what is supplements and pet? Why do we take them? Why do we need them? How do they integrate with your daily meal? And so I think that's the first, I think there's just still definition work we all need to do around where does the category sit? What does it mean? What does it mean to the consumer? What does it mean to the retailer? The second piece that I think is really challenging is it's a complicated regulatory environment. I think regulatory is very important 
it's always complicated. And so that's not to say it's any better or worse than any other category, but because the category is so new, we work with the NASC, we work with AFCO and some of our products are AFCO labeled. Some of them are NASC labeled and we're working with them as a new brand. It's a lot. And the regulators are great. They have the best intention for the category at hand. But when we're all defining the category together over time, there can be some gray area. There can be some confusion. I think that is a challenge. I think it's also an opportunity, though, for the category. I think if you get strong regulation with clear guidelines and clear rules, then it's better for everybody, right? Brands can operate easier. Consumers know what they're getting. So I think it's a challenge, but we're all for it. And then lastly, I think retail is still figuring out supplements. We've talked to retailers who still merchandise the supplement category in different parts of the store than where they would put treats or kibble. One thing that we're trying to do is say like, hey, we're all one big nutrition category. We should all be merchandised around each other, right? If you put supplements by the leashes and flea collars, like totally outside of the nutrition where treats or kibble would be, it's just putting the customer in like a slightly different mindset. And so I think retailers are changing dramatically. There's a lot of really forward thinking ones out there. And I think that's a third challenge. There is definitely a move towards pet food customization that is blurring a lot of the lines between segments recently. And I think that that's something that's going to continue. You've just talked a little bit about how supplements can play that role. What would be your ideal merchandising setup in a retail space? Where would you like to see supplements existing on the shelves? Where do you feel is the best input to give consumers the information and the impression that all of these things can really work together as a system? Oh, I'd love to have it in the kibble aisle right between the two fastest selling kibble brands, obviously. No, here's how we view the space. I touched on this a little bit, but we talk about supplements as around the bowl nutrition, right? And so what that means is anything that you would feed your dog that's around kibble is how we think about supplements. Some of those are very targeted, right? Your hip and joint supplements, your digestive supplements. Some of those are less targeted. My dog just is aging. He won't eat his kibble. You got to pour a little bone broth on it. That's more of a utility-based supplement, but it's still a supplement. Even dog chews. I'm on a Zoom call. My dog's annoying me. I need to distract him. I'm going to feed him a yak chew or a no hide or some edible chew. That is a supplement. That is a form of nutrition. You might not be using it for like a targeted health need, but so we view supplements as anything that's around the bowl. And as such, I would like to see a much more mixed category aisle at wholesalers where they are giving the pet parent or the consumer the ability to kind of shop linearly around what do they want that nutritional regimen to be. And what I mean by that, if you're going to walk the aisle, you have your kibble, you have your supplements in terms of what are the adders or the mixers or the toppers, chews that you want to add into your daily regimen. And then you move into your treats, right? Or your chews. That's the flow. Kibble, supplements, treats, and chews. I would love for that linear experience to come into wholesale. I also think wholesale is all about how do we get customers to spend more, buy more products, become stickier. I think that's actually the path to do that. I think you'd start to see ticket prices going up. Supplements are small. They don't take up a lot of space. I think the dollar sales per square foot on supplements are really, really good. 
And so I think it's kind of a win-win, whereas I can move very nimbly. I'm a 12-person startup in the supplements category. If you have 100 doors and you want to rearrange your supplement category and change your whole merchandising strategy, that can take years. So I do think that's where things are going. I think the forward-thinking retailers are moving there this year or have already gone there. That's what I would like to see in wholesale if I could draw the floor plans. I can see that. And I've seen evidence of that starting to happen, speaking to various companies who even sell multiple products, really taking on that around the bowl mentality and trying to market their products as a system rather than just separate things. But if your products are getting broken up on the shelves, then obviously your message might get lost, which leads me to my next question. How much of a component is consumer education in this segment in particular? I know consumer education overall in the industry is a huge deal, but something like supplements where a lot of them are for something specific or you're really targeting and dealing with people who are looking for solutions, where does education come in to you as a supplements provider? I think it's the single most important marketing challenge in front of us, marketing challenge and opportunity. Listen, my background isn't in marketing. I'm not a natural marketer. I am a product person. I spent years in product innovation. I've never had to be the one doing the actual marketing. And so it's interesting. There's just so much education you have to do in this category. And as a product person, my instinct was in all of our marketing to go to specifically and almost chemically, why is my product better than my competitors, right? We have less ingredients, like our manufacturing process is better. And you know what? The hardcore users of our product love that content, right? For the average consumer who's never fed their dog supplements, I was like three or four layers too deep. I think the average customer is still asking themselves, what is a pet supplement? We started so far down the funnel with our marketing. I think one of our biggest learnings And if our competitors are listening, I'm like giving away our trade secrets here. But one of our biggest learnings is there's so much education you have to do for the category. And that's where I think like with our competitors, it's like we all benefit. You need to educate the consumer. Like, why do they need to be thinking about supplements? If they are thinking about supplements, how do they identify what the issues they're having with their dog if they don't have time to go to the vet? And then if they've gone to the vet and the vet has recommended products, how do they research your product? And how do you compare versus what's out there? Those are so many layers of education you have to do before you can get to why is your product better than the next product. And I think that's been a big learning for us. And we're spending a lot more time, energy, money doing that more top of the funnel kind of marketing messaging for the category rather than focused on like granular, why are we better? And it comes down to accessibility, doesn't it? That kind of thing makes you more accessible if you can provide the overarching knowledge that consumers are looking for. They're more likely to stick with you as they learn and go through those layers to the more granular stuff at the end of the day, because you're the one who gave them the initial information that they can at least begin to learn the language or know where else to research. I think that could be a pretty solid selling point in your favor if you're the one who can provide the information and say, look, here are other resources. Here's the language you need to even be able to search and know what you need to do, and then come back to us and we'll give you the very specific information once you have this base. Exactly, I mean, it goes way deeper. I mean, we view it as a flywheel. 
And I think the exciting thing about anything that operates on a flywheel is that if you execute each block in the flywheel, you get this exponential growth because you're feeding the flywheel. The challenge about flywheels is you can't miss a step in that flywheel. The flywheel breaks and you have nothing. The flywheel starts with, did you educate your consumer? If yes, you've earned some trust. And we call this the trust building flywheel internally. If you've educated your consumer, you've earned some trust. They've done some more research. They're getting deeper into why they should pick native pet. Now you've really earned some trust. Then they buy the product. In this category, ultimately, we're all judged by, does your product actually help their dog or cat? And no matter how much they loved you in the purchasing process, how much they appreciated the education, et cetera, and how much trust you build up until then, if your product doesn't actually deliver on what you say it's going to deliver, you've probably lost that trust. And so this is like the big fork in the flywheel. If your customer has a great experience and it works, that flywheel happens because you know they're going to come back and buy from you again. They're going to buy from more products and they're going to tell their friends. Word of mouth happens and you get this crazy awesome flywheel of education to purchase, education to purchase. If you don't get that purchase and you don't get them to come back, you've spent all that money and time and energy educating, but your product doesn't deliver. And so at Native Pet, we can talk about education and trust. It all comes down to making sure your products are delivering for the customer and you're helping the dog and eventually cat feel better, live longer, be happier, whatever you're trying to accomplish. Our focus is on education and efficacy. We've been touching on this as we go along, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into it before we wrap things up and start talking about the future. What work needs to be done right now in the supplement space? What are some of the primary things going on right now that are the focus of this segment? Merchandising, I think, is something that's being worked on aggressively based on our conversations with retailers. I think everybody's trying to figure it out. I think that merchandising piece, it will be something that will change. One thing that's been really tricky for us is we've tried to make our products as accessible to the consumer as possible. And so a lot of our products are made with whole food ingredients as the base rather than starches and highly processed ingredients. And that's just a fundamental belief that Pat and I, my co-founder, have on how people should eat, how our animals should eat. And so as part of that, our products, whether we intended them to feel like food or not, can sometimes feel like food, even though they're supplements. For example, like our air-dried chew supplement products, the number one ingredient is chicken, right? Which is typically a feed ingredient. And so one thing we've worked with the regulators on is we don't want to talk about our products as food because it's a dosage form product and it needs to fit into the NASC box. And we are partners with the NASC and we want to work with the NASC. At the same time, we don't want to have to water down the quality of our ingredients and make our products less accessible by design because of confusion with feed grade products. And so that is a really tricky balance in the industry today of supplements are starting to become more of the daily meal regimen and are being considered more like food. But we have two totally separate architectures for how we talk about these products. And so I think, like I said earlier, like I don't have a great solution for how to fix that. And I think it's a totally normal thing. And I, I think both groups are working so that brands can operate better in the category. So I think everybody's working on it with great intentions and doing a great job. The challenge as an industry over the next like three to five years is if the category wants to converge, 
and but regulatory is staying separate. How do we start to bring regulatory closer together so it's easier for brands that are playing in both food, supplements, nutritional products? The guidelines aren't as disparate as they are today. That's a big question, a big thing. I think, honestly, regulatory has done a great job. It's something I think if the industry goes the way that I think or that we think at Native Fed it's going to go, it will be just an interesting challenge for the category as a whole. I agree. I think there's going to be some interesting stuff ahead in terms of what you were just talking about, all of the regulatory disparity. How much of that do you think needs to feed through into consumer education or should all that stuff be internal industry behind the scenes stuff? Because some of this is consumer expectation is driving all of this. But if they're ahead of what's actually going on behind the scenes, where is the line drawn between making sure pet owners know that there is a separate regulatory thing happening versus giving them too much information so none of it makes any sense and just confuses the issue. Because if you're not involved in the industry, then you don't care, or maybe you don't need to know. There's always a line there. Where do you think that is right now? Every nutrition or even health-related category wrestles with this. So this isn't unique to pet. And I think what is great about pet regulators is If you're a good actor and you're acting in good faith and you're working with the regulators, they always work with you and try to figure it out. They want people that are trying their best and trying to do right by the customer to succeed. And so I think that is one unique thing about the pet category that maybe isn't always the case elsewhere in my experience. The balance in pet, I think, is tricky. Customers, consumers want to have a certain amount of faith in the regulator that there is some base level protection. And that's why regulators have to have teeth, they have to have standards, and they have to you know, stick to their guns when it comes to certain labeling requirements. I think there are certain things that are unfair to put on the customer and say, buyer beware, read this three-page manual so that you know all the risk. That's not fair to the customer. With that being said, I do think there are opportunities with certain categories and certain products where it's low risk enough in terms of like, health impacts, that loosening standards, letting the customer receive more information and letting them make their own choice would be reasonable. It's almost product specific in terms of, you know, where I feel like regulators need to have more control versus where I think they could potentially have less control. It's a really challenging place to be. And I think generally speaking, we're in a good place where The regulators are doing a good job making sure things that shouldn't make their way into pet food aren't and things that are meant to be dosage form or treated as such. And so I think overall, we're doing a good job. There could be opportunity to continue to evolve, but I think that's true in every category. I would agree. There's always opportunity to evolve. Regulators have to protect the consumer. Like that's their job. And the sweet spot is the right set of regulations, the right set of guidelines, that protects against bad actors, but gives brands some flexibility and leeway to communicate directly with their customer and educate them. Where do you see the future of pet supplements? We're already a little bit forward focused, but let's really wrap things up and dive into that. I see the future changing in terms of how it's merchandised. I see the future changing in terms of how it's consumed. And then I see the future changing how it's formulated. Merchandise, we've talked a lot about this. I just think today the category has really come alive on Amazon and Chewy. 
And wholesalers are starting to wake up that, oh, this is actually a massive category. I think this is the first year in the US that the category is going to be over a billion dollars, which seems huge, but it's like a relative drop in the bucket if you look at kibble or treats and everything else that dogs eat. And so a big percentage of that is on Amazon and Chewy today. And I think part of that isn't because there wasn't demand for the product. I think part of that is just it's been merchandised differently and separately and not in the high traffic parts of the stores. And so I think as retailers change their floor layouts and their merchandising strategy and become more digital and the, the whole category evolves, I think there's a lot of untapped demand in the supplement category. And so I think we're going to see supplements in a lot more places. There's already tons of brands coming into the space. And so I think, you know, I think that's changing. Second, I think consumers are continuing to evolve. So I think a much bigger percentage of consumers are going to use supplements. And so I think all of these are obviously interrelated. And I think the days of just buying kibble, and that is what you feed your dog, I think that is going to change rapidly. And I think as more and more research gets done on products and more brands grow in the space and there's trusted leaders in the category and is creating wonderful health outcomes for pet parents, overall consumer behavior is going to change. I think it's going to be totally normal to feed your dog kibble in the morning, put a few chews on top of their kibble or feed them out of your hand, put a powder with a dash of water on top of the kibble. I think that is going to be the norm. Whereas today it's, you know, more of the early adapters, the outlier that are doing it. I think in the next five years, that's going to become very normal. I think that's very exciting for everybody in the category. And then lastly, I think one really exciting thing about pet supplements versus human, just to really tie it all back, is there's some like really, really fascinating research going on in canine and feline nutrition today. And the rate of research is so much faster in animals than it is in humans for obvious reasons. There's more leeway to run appropriate tests. There's bigger sample size. There's a lot of reasons. We can actually be, in my opinion, much more confident about the efficacy of active ingredients in pet supplements based on the academic research than you can in the human space. Something I follow very closely is the Dog Aging Project. There's tons of research on cancers and what are causing cancers. And I just think the rate and the dollar investment going in researching canine and feline health is really exciting to me. A lot of that research is going to be open sourced academic, peer-reviewed. And I think for the space, there's going to be just tons of opportunity to continue to leverage the most recent research and formulate products that are actually driving health outcomes. That's how we built Native Pet. I think there's going to be so much research that's going to come out over the next five, 10 years that I think these products are going to keep getting more efficacious. They're going to keep getting better. They're going to keep getting cleaner label, and they're going to have a huge impact on, on the health and wellness of our dogs and cats. And it's really exciting. So a lot to look forward to in this segment then. I'm excited about it. We've been in it five years. I hope the next five years are as exciting as the last five years. Well, I really appreciate your insights, Dan. Supplements continue to grow as a segment in the pet food space, particularly as pet owners become more educated regarding their animals' health. So I appreciate your thoughts on where all that's heading because it's obviously getting more complex and continuing to grow. Before we go, let's do a little plug. Where can people contact you or learn more about Native Pet? Listen, we want you to buy Native Pet wherever you shop. So we're trying to get wherever you shop. Today, we're on Amazon. We're on Chewy, nativepet.com. If you want to reach out to anybody on our team, just email info at nativepet.com. If you want to get in touch with me, shoot me a note at dan at nativepet.com. I'd be excited to chat. And you can always find me on LinkedIn as well.
Dan Schaefer. That is it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.